Chapter 21 Five meals after they arrived on the Justice, some two and a half days, the door rumbled and the room scurried to life at the promise of food to come. The door swung in and a sloppily dressed soldier stepped into the room. Finn! Tan! he whispered. Armand poured slowly out of his corner and fixed his eyes on her. Opportunity, Shari. Finn didn't understand. Then the soldier took off his hat and the light shone on his face. It was Sam Ketcher. Come on, he said, then winced, having spoken louder than he wished. We're here with Jack. Come quietly. No one argued. Jack couldn't fit into the uniform, he added with a smirk, but he's waiting in a boat alongside. Finn pulled Nut to his feet and they made their way toward the door. The room around them crept to life as the men hidden in the shadows caught scents of freedom. Finn eyed Armand Defane worriedly. He too had eyes only for the door. She was anxious to be far and away from him. But just as they slipped through the door, Defane darted past like a breeze, and a snarl erupted behind him as the half-naked prisoners lurched out of the dark and scrambled for the open door. Defane slammed the door shut before any could reach it and threw the bolt closed. The men inside howled and beat against the iron, growling curses at them. Sam swore and looked around in anger. Quiet, he hissed, but too late. A guard had already come to investigate. He trotted down the steps as if expecting nothing more than to yell a threat and put the prisoners back to silence. He was within feet of them before his eyes translated what he saw, and a white look of shock blanched his face. He drew his saber and opened his mouth to shout for help, but before he could utter a sound, a shadow flowed from beside Finn and launched itself at the guard. A knife flashed and the guard grunted as Armand Defane pinned him to the bulkhead with a dagger. Defane spat upon the guard and watched him die with satisfaction, then smiled as he retrieved his knife. The soldier slid to the floor in a heap. Finn was sickened. It was one thing to kill a man at need, but Armand enjoyed it. He relished the blood he'd spilt. Come on, urged Sam. They sped lightly up the steps into the main hold. Cells lined the entire length. Sam pulled a key from his belt and began opening the locks, freeing the rest of the Rattlesnake's crew. Finn didn't know how many soldiers guarded the ship, but she imagined there were more than just the one Defane had killed. Every second that Sam spent unlocking cells, Finn expected the rest of the guard to burst through a hatchway. Soon, however, Sam had all of them free, and her confidence grew. With fifteen able men, Finn felt sure they must outnumber the guards. Sam gave one last glance around to make certain all were freed, ignoring the whispered protests of those legitimately imprisoned. Let's go! Up the back hatch! Jack's waiting! They made for the hatchway, opened it, and climbed out onto the main deck. The clicking of musket cocks rattled through the night air. A lantern spilled its light over Finn and her men and exposed their escape. The quarterdeck was circled with armed guards, each with a musket aimed. The polished tips of a dozen bayonets glinted in the fiery light, wavering in telltale uncertainty as pulses quickened in the veins of the guards who leveled them. Do not move, said the officer. Finn and the crew put their hands in the air. None shall escape on my watch. Then Jack stepped into the light behind him. He held a huge piece of timber in his hands, and before the officer could finish turning to see what had come upon him, Jack swung it, catching the man in the chest. The blow knocked the officer across the deck, and he tumbled over the rail, disappearing into the darkness with a muted splash. The crew didn't waste the opening. Every man rushed a guard. Muskets fired. Men screamed. At once the night was full of violence. 
The soldiers threw their spent muskets to the deck and grappled with the freed crew of the rattlesnake in desperate cries and groans. Tan snatched a saber from one soldier, ran him through, and fenced with another across the deck toward the forecastle. Among them all, Armand Defane slid like a shadow of death, his hidden daggers slicing flesh and bone. Finn let her fists fly upon any redcoat in her arm's reach. Jack stood giant-like, swinging his rough timber to and fro, wreaking ruin where it struck. Topper had roused himself to action and held a musket by its barrel, clubbing away men with the butt. Nut, of all people, had even plucked a bailing hook from the deck and flailed it wildly about him with a terrific yell. The fact that no one seemed to be attacking him stayed none of his mad ferocity. For all the fight the guards put up, Finn suspected they'd never seen a day of combat in their poor lives. The unfortunate brutes had probably received their station as prison guards precisely because they hadn't any fight in them, and it showed. The scuffle was over almost before it began. Some of the guards had even jumped overboard to swim for shore at the first sign of violence. When the melee ended, they permitted the wounded and surrendered to escape into the Atlantic with the benefit of a few barrels to keep them afloat until they could be rescued. The initial musket fire had wounded several men, and Finn rushed to bandage and tend whom she could. Topper had taken a shot to the calf, but shooed her away to mend the others while she tried to worry over him. Well, that was a buggered mess, complained Jack. It was supposed to be quiet-like. Sorry, Jack, I'd done the best I could, said Sam sheepishly. We got to blow out of here quick. That musket fire will have told the garrison there's trouble. They'll be out to see what all soon enough. Tan, get them boys loaded in the skiff. Let's to shore. As the men moved toward the rail, a bell rang out in the distance. An alarm. The garrison ashore couldn't know what the trouble was yet, but it wouldn't take anyone long to find out. Jack roared curses. It's no good, Jack. We can't fit us all in that boat. By the time we get back for the second fill, there'll be redcoats all over the dock and water, said Tan. Well, why don't we raise sail and get out of here on this tub? asked Finn. The thought hadn't occurred to Jack. The Justice was a fine ship of the line when she was young, but she'd been stripped of most of her rigging. Only two of her three masts still stood, and from what they could see, there was precious little tackle aboard to refit her. Jack shook his head. Bah! She's nothing but a rotten hulk! Hell, they have to tow her wherever she goes. Even if we could get a sail aloft, we scant men to manor. I believe you may be mistaken, monsieur said Armand Defane. Who in the rotten hell is this? demanded Jack. Armand bowed. My name is Armand Defane. I have been aboard this beast of a boat for quite some time. He said it with pride and a smile. Finn was certain she despised him. He casually cleaned the blood from his daggers and continued. The justice happens to carry in her hold all the spare tackle of the ship that tows her, as well as spare sail. She also has ready sail to move her about the bay at need. And you have never a more willing or able crew accrued. The belly of the justice is filled with sailors. They just need a little room to grow. <laughs> the daggers vanished into his shirt. Tan looked to Jack. There was precious little time to decide. We better hurry and do something, Jack. Jack scratched his chin through his beard as he appraised Defane. He looked to the distant shoreline. The sound of the bells ceased, and other sounds took their place. The sounds of voices, orders, the splash of oars. All right, run out the sheets and the halyards. Get a sail up fast. Finn, you and Nut get aloft. Check the mainsail. Get her ready. He pointed at Defane. You, 
Show Tan where them sails are. Topper, get us moving. Get these scabs to work. We've a ship to sail. Without question, the entire deck leapt to life. Even the wounded found work to assist. Finn bounded up the mainmast with Nut close behind. They found the mainsail furled, but ready to fly. Mainsail's good, Jack, yelled Finn. Well, I will be damned, muttered Jack. Finn and Nut set to work, and minutes later the mainsail was billowing in the wind. With a dull whomp, it snapped full, and the ship lurched into motion. A cheer went up around the deck, and the justice lumbered away. All right, don't get comfortable. We can't outrun a dead whale until we get the rest of this heap on the mend. Tan, get below and free what men you think can work. Defane, come with me, ordered Tan. Hold, Tan, called Jack. Tan stopped as he and Armand turned to face him. What's the story with this one? Well, he helped us out here a bit. Jack pondered him in silence. I am no friend of the British. Armand seemed about to add something more but tightened his lips and remained silent. Such an obvious admission didn't garner him any trust in Jack's eyes. Well, you seem to know quite a bit about the ship. Maybe you know something about the men locked up in her. That I do. A wicked heart in each and every one. Thieves, murderers, mutineers, and worse, good sailors all, said Armand with a grin. Well, then go with Tan and advise him on which of them we can trust to run the ship without giving any trouble. I get even a hint of ill-advised action out of any of them, and I shoot you. I don't want any of those beasts in the bilge let loose. Those animals can rot, added Tan. Jack looked at him with a question on his lips, but didn't voice it. We square, Mr. Defane? asked Jack. Armand clicked his heels together and bowed. All right, let's go, said Tan. They turned away and disappeared below decks. From the helm, Topper waved Jack over and asked him what heading to take. Well, east for now, to open sea, then later we'll decide what to do. Topper frowned. Ain't we headed after the snake, Jack? The snake? Well, hell, creatures days away, devil knows where by now. He's headed to England if he knows what's good for him. Behind Jack, Finn dropped out of the ropes and lit onto the deck. He's not heading to England. And why would you reckon that? He's headed for Savannah, for Ebenezer. Finn told Jack her tale, starting with Bartimaeus and ending with the map. Creech was heading straight for Ebenezer. There was no doubt in her mind. Thought you said you was done with secrets, grumbled Jack when she finished. Finn half smiled like a guilty child. Well, to the south and Savannah it is then. Jack turned to the open deck and shouted, Bear south, Topper! We have a snake to charm and a serpent to harm. Turn to, boys! Get this rubble running! By the time the sun peeked over the far waves, the crew had managed to fit both masts with sail. The justice wasn't fast, but she was moving in the right direction. The rising sun brought bad news as well, though. Away to the north, the missing prison ship had been discovered, and the British were mustering a pursuit. The tall sails of two ships of the line stood out sharp against the morning sky. Everyone on board knew they stood no chance in a race, and less chance in a fight against fully gunned men of war. Yet the mood was somehow hopeful as well as grim hopeful because they were free and had open sea before them. The men they'd freed from the cells below worked like they'd never had in their lives. Their freedom depended on it, but they also felt grim. Every heart knew those demons of the British fleet would have to be contended with before any surer freedom was secure. Although the thoughts and worries of most of the men reached no further than the ships behind them and the sea before, Jack and Finn had further misgivings about what lay ahead. 
Savannah was but a two-day sail, less than a day and a half away, Jack estimated, but what they'd face when they got there was a grave shadow on any hope they had of reaching Creech and reclaiming the rattlesnake. Savannah was British territory. There would be garrisons of troops and warships patrolling the harbor. What hope they had of slipping in unnoticed was dashed by the two ships that would be chasing them into the harbor. Even if they were lucky enough to make it that far, they'd be hemmed in on all sides, with nowhere to go. It's damnable suicide, growled Jack. Finn smiled slyly. We'll figure something out. Aye, Captain, Jack said sarcastically. Some of the boys might call you Captain, but that don't make it so, Button. I hear plenty of scuttlebutt about Captain Button and her pirate crew, but you best see it don't go to your head. What a man brags about in a dark tavern's a different beast than what the day sees him do. So don't you go believing what stories you hear. Them kind of stories end at the gallows, or in the dark below. You got yourself in some trouble back home and run away to the sea? That's fine. But half the men on this ship could tell that story. None would be lying. So don't go thinking you're special just cause the local papers and the barroom poets take you to their fancy. I'm all for getting to Creech, and I'll see him dead if I have my way about it. Didn't want it to come to that, but it's clear now there'll be no rest for us till he's laid below. Don't go thinking this is all cause of some fool map. I'm interested in two things. The rattlesnake and a life free of looking over my shoulder. Tan emerged from below decks with a troubled look on his face and waved down Jack. We got more problems. What now? Well, the wind ain't just pushing the ship. It's pulling her apart. The timber's too old, too rotten. If we don't take in sail and lessen the stress on those masts, she will rip herself to splinters. If we take in sail, the British will be on us by nightfall. Jack, we're taking on water. She's leaking like a drunk and the bilge pumps are useless. We ain't taking in sail. Get every man aboard busy bailing. Start a bucket line. Keep her emptied as best we can. Tan nodded and walked away shouting orders for anything that could hold water to be hurried below. Jack took a deep breath. For the rest of the day, the ship was a bustle with the bailing of water from the hold. The bilge room that Finn and the others had been held in was filling with water, and from the far side of the door, the wretched prisoners howled and yelled to be loosed. No one moved to their aid, however, and Finn was glad of it. Those men could hardly be called humans any longer. There was no telling what they'd do if loosed upon the ship. Armand de Fain had somehow kept them in order while he was locked up, but in the open, with weapons of opportunity all about, there was no sure control of the madness that infected them. All through the night, the bailing continued, and when the sun rose, the ships pursuing them had closed the distance by half. They were no more than a few miles behind them now. Jack estimated they'd see Savannah with sunrise the next morning if the wind held. At the same time, the ships behind would close to firing range. They were going to need a miracle. By midday, men on the bucket line were passing out from exhaustion. Jack ordered them to split the work so half could rest. The resulting loss of manpower caused the ground they'd gained against the rising water to slowly disappear. Inch by inch, the ship was being swallowed by the sea. What small hopes they had when they first struck for open water were fading. All minds aboard were consumed with wondering which fate would finally claim them. The ships behind, the ships waiting ahead, or the sinking ship beneath their feet. Everywhere was despair. Topper held fast at the helm with his steady eye to the southern horizon. We are pickled this time, Jack, groaned Topper. Ah, keep her south. Savannah's less than a day ahead. Long as we can keep this tub afloat, we'll be fine. 
Well, what's the good of getting to Savannah if we're stuck when we get there? Jack didn't answer. He swung away and shoved himself into the bucket chain. Hurry up there, Sam, with that bucket. Somebody sing us a song to keep the time, yelled Jack at the weary crew. Down the line from somewhere in the hold, where the water was high and the light dim, came back a low, booming voice. Sailed from a south sea, gnawing on a bone, into the north sea, cold as stone. Set for the west with the briny and foam, never going east, cause west goes home. As the song flowed, the men down the line joined in, and the music grew faster and fuller. The buckets passed from hand to hand in rhythm, and though none could say they were light of spirit, the song at least lightened a heavy mood and kept despair at bay. Sailed on a high sea, stormy and mean, lost in a far sea, stars unseen. Had a keg of rum, but was only a dream. When I die, I'll head west to the fiddler's green. All day they sang songs and passed the buckets. Jack called out shift changes, and some slept, while others grumbled back to the line to take up the work. Throughout it all, the water continued to rise. The water in the bilge was almost waist-high, and the ship was riding visibly lower in the water. Behind them, the British were closing, and by dusk they'd come nearly inside gun range. As the first stars were flickering through the amber wash, the first cannon fire boomed. The shot fell well short, perhaps a mile. The British were testing their range. It wouldn't be long. Luckily, however, the night would conceal them. The warships would be within gun range sometime before midnight, Jack guessed, but night would cloak them, keep them safe. Morning would be another matter. Quietly, Jack called Tan and Finn away from the line. We're safe for the night. But come morning, the sun's going to betray us, and we'll have a fight. Need you to talk to that Armand de Fane bugger. Find out what he knows about the ship's arms. I've been poking around below, and we got twenty good cannons, but no powder or ball that I can see. Tan nodded, and Jack turned back to the line. Finn called over Armand de Fane. Is there any powder aboard? Any cannon shot? She asked him. We are going to fight them, huh? He said, chuckling. Ha <laughs> ha! I cannot say I think we have much chance, but it will certainly be invigorating. Finn didn't think dying sounded particularly invigorating at all. Is there gunpowder aboard or not? Powder, oui. A reserve magazine. Follow me. Defane led them down to the gun deck and along a narrow corridor to a large set of double doors that were chained and locked. Tan retrieved a hatchet from stowage and hacked at the door. He cut away enough to peer inside and saw half a dozen powder kegs sitting peacefully in the dark, waiting patiently for their hour of waking. On the floor beside the kegs lay crates of nine-inch cannonballs, and on the walls hung a complement of muskets and sabers. Got plenty of powder and small arms for the crew. Only about twenty cannon shot, though. That's enough for one volley, reported Tan. They finished tearing the door away from its frame and rolled the powder kegs out onto the gun deck. Tan was happy to find the crew's confiscated weapons in the closet, and his rapier was among them. He strapped it on and looked instantly more hopeful. He and Finn picked up what knives and gear they recognized as the crew's and went up on deck to return it. The effect upon the sailors was much the same as on Tan. Having their own weapons at their sides gave them all a bit more hope than they'd had without. Finn thought of Betsy and longed to feel the weight of the old thunder gun tucked away in her belt, but it was aboard the rattlesnake, along with her fiddle. No comfort for her. She put it out of her mind. They reported what they'd found to Jack. He'd hoped for enough ammunition to muster a good fight, 
but there was little to do about it, so he ordered them to get some sleep before the sun came up. They would need all their strength when it did. Finn crawled wearily into a corner. She curled up on a pile of moldy rope and tried to sleep, but it was long in coming. There was much trouble on her mind. She might not live through the coming morning, but it wasn't the dying she minded. It was the things dying took away. If she died, she'd never get the satisfaction of seeing Tiberius Creech dead for his crimes. She'd never get the chance to stop him before he could plunder her home, kill the people she loved, and steal Bartimaeus's treasure. She'd never see Peter again. That aching thought hurt her the most. She wouldn't mind dying if she could see Peter again. If she could tell him how sorry she was for leaving, for all the mistakes she'd made. Did he even care? It had been over two years since she'd seen him. Suddenly, she was sure that all hope of him patiently farming their land and waiting for his lost girl to come home was nothing more than a silly dream and a dim reality. Tears came, and she sobbed quietly into her arm, hoping no one could hear. She wept herself into sleep and dreamed. She saw a misty wood of pecan and pine that broke suddenly onto a wide green field surrounding a peaceful cabin. Children ran and laughed across the grass, and in the shade of the house a man tapped the arms of a rocking chair into place with a carpenter's mallet. His face was lost in the shadows. He laid the mallet down and, like a lover, gently traced the lines of the chair with his finger. Then he set himself to rest in his finished piece, and though the shadows hid his face, Finn knew he was smiling. He produced a pipe from his pocket and stoked it to life like an old memory as he rocked in the chair. Then Finn saw a second chair in the shadows, more slender and more delicate than the one he sat upon. He reached over and drew it into the light at his side. He looked across the grass at Finn and motioned for her to sit beside him. She wanted nothing so much as to join him and sit. She took a timorous step forward, but as soon as her foot touched the grass, the world erupted in thunder. She looked to the sky and saw a great black ship, its sides ablaze with cannon fire. Cannonballs crashed into the cabin, sending splinters across the field. Thunder again, and the children were dying. Thunder again, and all was in ruin. The ship floated off behind a darker cloud, and she fell to her knees, weeping. She looked up, and amid the wreck of the scene, the carpenter sat silent and still as an oak, smoking his pipe. Beside him still, the empty chair waited. Come, he said. I can't, cried Finn. One step upon that grass had brought ruin and death. How could she bear the many steps to cross the distance? Come, he said again, and she wailed. Finn, Finn, come on, said a voice above her, and she opened her eyes. Nut was shaking her shoulder and shouting at her to wake up. Cannons fired in the distance. Finn, get up! All at once she leapt awake. The sun was rising.